Hello, everybody! It's the Lanky Guys. It's the Lanky Guys. We're in your living room or your car again. Hey. Are we in your back seat? Where are we? I don't How know. creepy is Dude, this? You know where I am? I'm in the glove compartment. And, and you would be. And, 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 and if you open the glove compartment, I will wave at you like a little like a, a little gut person. I'm on that little ashtray that you, don't, that you keep all your spare change and your gum wrappers in. Dude, I saw a bank vault that they were selling. Online, <laughs> that you could like s- swim in all of the money, like Scrooge McDuck's money it, money bin, like Scrooge McDuck's money bin, <laughs> oh. and and like it's like filled with like five cent pieces from like s- this like some Swiss bank, and you and it has safety boxes all the way around, and you can buy the whole thing and ship it to your house and really? swim like you a duck. Do it. You have room out there. I totally have room out oh, there. You'd have a money bin. It isn't that fun. And then and then like there was a person that was like buried in it. It was on some Richie Rich auction website. You just made it super creepy. <laughs> this was all lot. This was lots of fun until a, a dead body was. <laughs> no, they were what? smiling like it was on the beach, and oh, their friend so covered them in was money. Was buried for fun, not yeah. they found someone buried. In <laughs> no. Oh, I totally misunderstood. <laughs> that that, okay. that makes it creepy, creep. Yeah, dude. seriously, I thought you just twisted this on me. So Scrooge McDuck, dude. So there's there's that. Where did, the heck did that come from? Um, the glove box. Yeah, the somehow. glove box. You were in the change. You were in the ashtray <laughs> oh, with yeah. all the spare change. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something yeah. like Scrooge McDuck. Dude. I realized on my car we have a. It's a 2005 Honda, and on the ashtray it says something like "not for not to use with ashes" or something. Do not put cigarette butts in here, <laughs> <laughs> which is strange. I understand we're against smoking in our culture, but that's weird. Yeah, that's my yeah. Anyway, so I have to say that um, say uh, I almost went to the Super Bowl. I know. Did we win? <laughs> Did Denver win the uh, game? Dude, we're recording this before. Oh, it's this still you're all you're all listening to it beforehand. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I always forget when we record this. Yeah, dude, my my bet is that the Broncos win because the Archbishop was on AP. Uh, and Archbishop the Aquila, Pope, and the Pope had a ball, had a, f- a Broncos ball, and he was like, "The NFL football game. I hope we win." That was John Paul too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. The JP2 would root way more for the Denver oh, Broncos. Oh, he loves Denver, remember? He loved Denver. Seattle schmishmaddle. Seattle schmishmaddle is what we're talking about. I'm wearing my Broncos tie today. You see that? Dude, you are. You've Everyone got- made fun of me today and said I had my hipster tie on. Yeah, er, dude, it's like knit. That's probably why. It's is like that, a, The it's hipsters a, wear knit ties? Yeah, it's like a skinny knit tie. Well, with, Boulder's a really hipster town. And you're so, a hipster guy. You're a hipster guy. I saw on Gawker that we were rated as like the hip neighborhood of Boulder, Colorado was Boulder. <laughs> yeah. There was this thing online that you can find it. You can go and trace where the hip neighborhoods are in your metropolitan city. And in Boulder, the hip neighborhood is Boulder. Boulder. So that's good. Because <laughs> we are just one. We are uh, Boulder. one. Bum, 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 bum. I was going to sing, we are one Boulder, one, one Boulder in, in Christ, I and wish. we do not stand alone. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's okay. But we do. All right. Dude, um, let's jump in, man. So I feel like are, let's just like jump into this. Let's do it, man. We are in the, pres- the feast of the presentation of the Lord, and I noticed that you still have your Christmas tree up. Dude, that's because that is the traditional... I get judged for this. Do you know? Are you judging me, too? I came close, but then I realized you probably have a good liturgical reason, not simply laziness. Uh, it's true. This is the traditional ending to the Christmas season. Christmas. And so uh, it would be 40 days after Christmas. Which would have been the presentation of which, our Lord. The presentation which is why we Lord. celebrate the presentation of our Lord today. Yeah, and so, huh. uh, and so hmm. I actually celebrate Christmas until then. I don't care. Ordinary time, we've already seen the problems with the counting stuff with ordinary time. Like what? Oh, that they don't all. Yeah, no, that we don't. Yeah, we don't always get all. 
all the, it's confusing. All we're the confused. weeks in. Dude. We're confused, and this is our job to figure this out. I so know. We and, don't know. And we don't even. We don't even. <laughs> what the? I don't even. What um, the? Yeah, so we're in the presentation of the Lord, which is, yeah, the traditional end to Christmas. And so today we're looking at our first reading comes from the book of Malachi. We're finally out of Isaiah. Take that. Dude, We've been in Isaiah since like Thanksgiving. Ah, man, I love Isaiah. Isaiah's the best. But, but a full steady diet of, of Isaiah is like, dude, you can feast your eyes on it, but then it leaves you Isaiah. God, oh, I was, that was terrible. Yeah, that was really... Should uh, I edit that out? <laughs> I'm just kidding. You should. No. Just judge no, me. D- judge that. me like all the people that, in the car listening to us on your headphones. still has their Christmas tree out. It's people who are laundering irons. What? <laughs> what does that mean? Ironing their laundry. Hey, oh, I'm geez. a hipster. I speak, I speak in Yoda, bro. Nice, man. You wouldn't have heard of it. All right, Malachi... <laughs> That's hipster, right? Yeah. You know. Okay, Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. These are, these are the readings in case Scott yes, didn't tell I you. And you've to, just tuned then... in to the first time ever for yes. us. Okay, these are the readings that we will be reading on Sunday, <laughs> January, uh, February, rather, the, tw- the second. second. My goodness gravy. It's been a long week. I think we can all admit we've had a long week so far. I know, and we, we have a big debate coming up on <sighs> Friday, night, Friday and, night, and Scott is in charge of it, and and um, he actually is sweating tickets at this point. I don't even know. It's kind of confusing. It's a medical miracle. Is that a pun? Is it? I, I don't. I don't what even. The, I don't even. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I was just trying to like give an example of That's a good. physical manifestation of your work for That's our debate. Good. That's good. Uh, yes, thank you. Okay, so uh, Malachi chapter three verse four. I, I don't know. Malachi chapter three <laughs> verses one through four. <laughs> yes, this is a good demonstration of your brain. This is this is your brain. It's a lo- we this testified brain before that. We testified before the House of Representatives this week, and uh, it was. It well, was, that's a whole different story. That's, that's a whole, not. That's not open that can of worms. Dude, it was like seven. It hours. is cool to say though. Hey, everybody! I testified before the Colorado House of Representatives yep. on Monday for a protection against for religious freedom, which lost, which lost, and which it, is a sad. It reality. was. It was hard because it kind of fell along party lines. I didn't yeah, feel like people were as reasonable as they could have been. No, it's almost like government didn't act logically. Anyway, let's move on. Okay. So, <laughs> no politics in this show. Okay. Psalm. The responsorial psalm is Psalm twenty-four. Verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Okay, I'm wondering why they put 7, 8, 9, and 10. Do you think that they pulled parts of those verses out? Hey, why was 6 afraid of 7? Because it 8, 9? Because 7, 8, 9. Oh. <laughs> um, yes, I'm sure they left parts of those out. Yeah, thank okay, you for telling me. The second me. reading is from Hebrews. Hey, how does Moses make his coffee? Hebrews it! Hey, welcome to the Lake of Guys! (laughs) Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yep, that's all all we need to say. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Why was 14 scared of 18? (laughs) Because 18... Nineteen twenty. Oh. I don't really know, man. That was just a joke (laughs) that wasn't funny. It was funny. All right, Luke, uh, the gospel is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to make the joke again, but then no, I decided no, not to because <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't be funny. Please don't. But this is the thing, though, is if you push something humorous far enough, it goes through phases where it's really funny and then it's not funny anymore at all, kind of like you. And then <laughs> it comes back and then it's funny again, kind of like you. 
Scott's not talking to me. You he, know what? He withdrew from the microphone yeah, and folded his arms. You're on your own. You're just one lanky guy now. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the lanky guy who's not so lanky anymore <laughs> after the holiday season. And that cupcake. That cupcake is just staring me in the face that you're not eating. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Hey, dude. Don't what? look at me like that, you cupcake. <laughs> hey, what did one cupcake say to the other cape, uh, cupcake in the oven? Ah, a talking cupcake. Yeah, that was right. Was that really what you were going to say? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> okay. It was a modified version from Muffin. Yeah. Okay. From the Muffin joke. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so Malachi. Okay, so the first reading. We are in Malachi. I Which love- I always oh, think geez. of Malachi. <laughs> <laughs> I always think of- isn't Malachi Martin, isn't he like the exorcist dude who wrote the, Mar- who wrote the book, like Smiley's People? I just remember, I, th- I think my dad had these books when I was kid, a kid about these, like, about exorcism. And, they, and my dad was like, you cannot read these books. And I was like, okay. Which I'm glad I never did read the books, but uh, just the name Malachi just scares me. I'm looking it up. He, Mar- Malachi he, Martin. This is the beauty of the interwebs. Malachi Martin, occasionally writing under the pseudonym I, I, Catholic Church. I don't know. Yeah, I can't. I, 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 yeah, maybe. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> there's no uh the internet's a hard place to do a quick search because you have to sift through information. All right, n- here's the thing. Malachi. Malachi. Malachi? You're looking yeah, at yeah, you're not paying you. I've lost you. Yeah, I've yeah. lost you to looking up Malachi Martin books. Oh yeah, he wrote Hostage to the Devil. <laughs> what do you know? Yeah, yeah, and Windsept House and the Jesuits. Yeah. Hostage of the Devil. My dad was like, you cannot read this book. Did and you read it anyway? No, your I dad's didn't. dad's listening. Tell the truth. No, I never read it. Okay. I did, dude, I don't need any of that in my head. I don't head. know if your dad listens to this or not. No, my mom does, though. My mom will tell my well, dad. she would tell him. Yep. Um, all right. So Malachi. Sorry, you guys. It's taking so long to get to this. Malachi, chapter three, verse four. Okay. <laughs> Lots to say about Malachi. I, I really do love him. It's, it's actually weird to not be talking about Isaiah. It really is. But I love Malachi. So here's what you need to know about Malachi. Talk Malachi is the last of the written prophets in the Bible. He's the last one. So he is, in a certain sense, God's final word to Israel, formally spoken, until there are hundreds of, until you have hundreds of years of silence until Christ. So it's Malachi. The book is closed. A lot of things happen, the time of the Maccabees, everything else. But God is sort of prophetically silent. So it's the last word until Christ shows up. So, um, you know, we've, we've been looking, you know, since this podcast started about the history of Israel, the sin that they've fallen into, and, and really this recurring theme of the Old Testament that um, we failed, we've fallen away from God, we've sinned, we've broken the covenant, we're reaping the consequences of that, we're being punished, but someday God's going to step in and set things right. We're going to be, we're going to be set free from our punishment. We're going to be forgiven. Everything is going to be, is going to be beautiful again. Mm-hmm. And that is a day that is coming. And so Malachi is the last message really to that effect, right? And so here's what the last prophetic book says at the end of the last book of prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, it, it's got five chapters, but this is toward the tail end. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. So what the prophets have all sort of been leaning toward is that at some point God's going to come and set things right. Now Malachi gives you actually a tremendous amount of information as to what that's going to look like. Okay, the Lord says, I'm sending a messenger before me to prepare my way. Um, But if you're kind of reading, you don't even have to read between the lines. Who is actually coming? Jesus. Messenger, Elijah. Just reading this at face value. You're just reading this in the time of Malachi. Who is coming? A messenger, an angel. A messenger is coming first, but who's to prepare the way for whom? 
Uh, the Lord, whom you seek. But yeah, do you, but did you catch that? I mean, you hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> of course. And so people are expecting a Messiah. He's maybe he's going to be a king. Is he going to be a mighty warrior? Is he going to be this? Is he going to be that? But Malachi is very clear. Who is coming? Who is the, the Messiah? Lord. It's the Lord himself. Who's coming back to the temple. That's a pretty intense prophecy. No kidding. This is a little book. It's a little, little book. A little book with some serious power punch, dude. A little book with serious power. I'm teaching a class on Mark right now here at, uh, at, at the student center. And not at the second, but in general. <laughs> and the way that Mark actually begins, Mark begins his first line by stitching together two passages, one from Malachi and one from Isaiah. And he begins with this passage from Malachi. It says, Lo, I'm Mark's sending my messenger, messenger to prepare the way before me. And then he, he kind of uh, joins that with this passage in Isaiah chapter 40, which says the voice crying out in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And all these things. And so he's he's showing, he's tying together this messenger from Malachi and the voice who's crying out from Isaiah. And then he says, oh, by the way, there was John the Baptist out in the wilderness. And so he's saying, look, John the Baptist is this messenger or this voice that the prophets have been telling us about. Well, what's the messenger doing? Well, he's preparing the way before me, says the Lord. So again, who's this Messiah going to be? Well, Malachi, if you read him rightly, yeah. he says the Lord himself is actually coming. That's who you're preparing for. And what's he going to do? Well, like you said, suddenly he will come into the temple, the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant who you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who will endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like the refiner's fire, the fuller's eye. He will sit refining and purifying silver. He'll purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or silver. They may offer sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem. Um, will please the Lord in the days of, of, of old as years gone by. So basically... There's going to be a messenger. He's going to prepare the way. The Lord himself will come. He's going to show up in the temple, and he's basically going to kick some tail, right? He's going to do all these things. He's going to rip it apart. Who can endure it? He's going to refine people like fire. That's what's coming. And that is, for all intents and purposes, the last word of the last book of the entire Old Testament. That's what you should be looking for. Which is way super intense. So you're wondering from that point on, okay, when is this going to happen? What's it going to look like? What's what's going on? Which is why when John the Baptist shows up and he is yelling in his voice in the wilderness, precisely where the prophets said he would be, there flock to him all of Jerusalem and Judea. They all knew what they were looking for, and they recognized this guy's the message, well, the messenger. I, I mean, e- even to the point on where the end of the fourth chapter of Malachi, so the very last word, says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible right. day of the Lord comes. And and Jesus even says, John the Baptist is Elijah. Is I mean, Elijah. Like, and it, it, the Gospels all make clear, like he's dressed like Elijah. He's doing the things that Elijah, he's described as Elijah. He's not just a crazy guy who's eating bugs and wearing this, this weird clothing. I mean, he is dressed like Elijah. He's acting like him. And everybody knows their Old Testament. They know the story. They know the narrative. They know yeah. what they're expecting. Uh-huh. And so they all go out looking for him. Nobody thinks that John's the Messiah. They understand his role. And I, one of the things I want to draw out, too, is the detail of what refinement looks like. I am actually a, a jeweler. And refinement is a super cool thing because as you superheat metal, what happens is you're drawing the dross out of it. So you're bringing the impurities out of what the core of the metal is, and because everything has these different melting temperatures, so you're bringing uh, minerals mixed in metals, all these things. And the way you can tell that it's actually refined is that it's super reflective to the point on where it's actually it becomes a mirror, and you can hmm. see your own reflection in it. Wow! So that's the same. The, wow. the, the true is same both for silver and for gold. Gold is even better at it. Wow! And so it's actually making the image 
of the refiner seen within the metal itself. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, isn't that cool? That's super intense. I like Take it. Take that. Take that refiner's fire. And the Fuller's Lie, I mean, I don't think you want to stick your hand in a bucket of lye. It'll burn you, <laughs> but it'll make your clothes nice and white. You, it's are telling, like, you are telling the truth. Dude, if we did a contemporary version of this. Get it? I can make puns too, man. What did you say? I, I said you're you. telling the truth about your bucket of lye. Oh. Come on. It was awesome. Oh. Let's move on. Let's just keep going. Dude. Keep on going. Keep dude, on moving. Man. If we did a contemporary um, uh, a translation of this, is is it would be like the Fuller's OxyClean. They're Fuller's Tide. Yes, the Fuller's Tide. Yeah. I think OxyClean is better. All right. Let's keep going. Okay. okay. Psalm 24. So keep that in the back of your minds because this is our setup. This is, this is what everyone's expecting. So then the psalm... Brings this out, right? Okay, Psalm 24. Who is the king of glory, the king? <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's that song. Dude, I remember when I met, I, I first got into seminary, there was a, like a, a guy who was about to be ordained. And uh, he was choosing uh, music for mass. And, oh, no. and he, he's, he's like, do you know this one? And then and the first time <laughs> I'd ever heard it, he had his acoustic You'd guitar. never heard it before? No, no, no. And, he, and I, you know I grew up a traditionalist. Yeah. I mean, I really grew up a traditionalist. Did you? Okay. I did. And then it was like, and he was like, who is the king of glory? How shall we call him? Did he have and, a tambourine? No, he had Because you can't do it without a tambourine. Oh, my gosh. And I, and I just stood there like looking at him, and I was like, what is this, man? Why are you doing Why this? Why are you? I'm like, I'm like, this is nothing I've ever heard before. Oh, my. I do not understand. But, not now, but now we have the great and mighty... Stephen Colbert, <laughs> whose dance is permanently ingrained in my brain. Oh uh, yes, somebody put it on our Facebook site, so maybe we'll rehash that. All right. Anyway, so who is the King of Glory? It is the Lord. <laughs> and that's okay. This is kind of funny. No, it's not funny. It's kind of interesting. The I'm just laughing at you because you're so serious today. Seriously? Uh huh. You're so serious. Are you being you sarcastic? Need, you need to lighten up. Are you being sarcastic or not? I can't tell. <laughs> Are you or not? No. Do you think I'm being serious? Am just, I too serious? Just a little bit. You're a little really serious. self-conscious. Don't, don't be self-conscious. I'm wearing my fun tie, though. You I'm are a doing a fun Broncos tie. <laughs> tie. I'm just trying to get through the podcast, man. <laughs> no. Just trying to get a decent podcast for the people. For the people. Do it for the kids. Do Scott. it for the kids. They deserve a decent podcast. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the psalm kind of asks this question. Who is the king of glory, right? Stop it. I know. It just makes me you laugh. You can't hear it I not hear Stephen Colbert. Yeah, exactly. I can't either. It's, I'm trying, man. <laughs> who is this king of glory? The king rejoices. Okay. Um, so who is this king of glory? It's so I'm just hard. Gonna, I'm just going to whistle oh. this behind you as you do it. Okay. Good. I whenever do we it. whenever we encountered this psalm, uh-huh. I always like the way we pray it in the breviary. Yeah. It, it makes me sad because I feel like because it's really antiphonal. I learned about this psalm as like a, yeah, it a, is a, actually a, a great antiphonal um, thing for. There's something that's taking place in the temple, and then you'd have two people, and it would be call and response. Who is the King of Glory? How shall we call him? And he says, "He is the King of Glory." Let's have your voices or so. <laughs> if you guys don't know why we're laughing, you really have to see this video. Yeah, just pause us right now and look up Stephen, Stephen Colbert, Colbert, King, King of, of Glory. Glory. <laughs> or maybe you guys love this song and it reminds you of your upbringing in the church, and I feel terrible and I'm mocking it. 
Anyway, you're not, so, but, but it is antiphonal. You're rejoicing in I'm it. I'm rejoicing it. It is antiphonal, and it, so it's asking a question: Who is this King of Glory? And this is what we were talking about in the first reading, right? Who is coming? Who is the Lord? Who, who is this Messiah who's coming? And the Psalm actually answers it for us: It's the Lord, which is profound because that was missed, uh, unless you're looking back in hindsight. And the re- I mean, people give our Jewish brothers and sisters a hard time because they say, "Well, how did, they, how did so many of them miss the Messiah?" How do they not see Jesus? He's fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies. It's so obvious to us. Yes, of course it's obvious looking back with 2,000 years of insight. But, I mean, if you're looking at it from the front end, you have all these different prophecies which seem to contradict each other. Okay, it's the Lord coming. Oh, no, it's a servant coming. No, it's uh, it's someone who's going to suffer. No, it's someone who's going to be a mighty warrior. No, it's somebody who's going to defeat his enemies. No, it's someone who's going to be persecuted. No, it's somebody who's going to be beat up. No, it's somebody who's going to be victorious. I mean, okay, which one is it? Well, yes, it's actually all of them. Jesus fulfills all of these things, but not in a way that anybody could have anticipated. So you kind of have to feel sympathy for the people on the front end of this, trying to figure out how can this Messiah who's coming be victorious with a strong arm over all of his enemies, but yet suffer and be crucified and be and be spit, spat upon. Those t- two things don't seem to make sense unless you understand precisely what Christ did on the cross. So the psalm is sort of giving us this insight. I mean, the psalm doesn't make sense outside of the gospel. Who is the king of glory? It's the Lord doing what he did, lifting up his gates. Uh, lift up your gates, your lintels, your, your ancient portals. The king of glory may come in. It's all about, the whole psalm is about the king coming into what? Into his glory, into his temple, which is what Malachi said he's going to do. Now, um, I was reading a little commentary on this, and if you read the book of Hebrews, there's this great passage in Hebrews about when the Lord, when Jesus actually enters into the Holy of Holies with the perfect sacrifice. Do you remember what at what point in the Gospels Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies in the temple? Because Hebrews actually mentions it. It's like when the Lord went no. into the Holy of Holies. I I, I don't. I, I, man, you stumped me, dude. I am. You can call me stumpy because I'm know why? stumped. Because he never does. He doesn't ever do that yeah, yeah. at the temple. He never goes into the Holy of Holies. He goes into the outer courts, right? Yeah, yeah. When does he do it? Hebrews makes it clear. Well, what what's what Hebrews gives us the insight of is that really there's two realities, right? I was talking to the focus team about this this morning. We do a little study on on stuff. But um okay, the, Bi- here, the Bible. Here, I'm going to well, <laughs> we're talking about the mass right now, the biblical oh. roots of the mass. Oh, sweet. But um okay, take it take it backwards for a second. If you go back to the book back of it Exodus, up, back it up, back it up, back it up, to the book of Exodus, it's in Exodus where Moses is given the instructions for this thing called the tabernacle, which was going to be their central place of worship. They would gather around. The Lord's presence would really be in there. Do you remember how it's described? So God says, okay, Moses, I want you to build this thing. It's going to travel with you and it's going to be the center of your worship. And he shows him a vision of this ta- tabernacle in heaven. And he says, I want you to build something that looks like that which tells you that the tabernacle and the temple, which existed for thousands of years on earth, was simply a model or a blueprint of something that exists supernaturally in heaven. It's a model of something else. There's another temple. There's another tabernacle up in heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which is why when you, in the mass, right, every mass in Eucharistic prayer number one, you say when the bread and wine are on the altar, that they've been consecrated and changed into Jesus. We say, Lord, may your angel take this sacrifice to to your your altar altar in heaven. heaven. The other one, the real one, right? Yeah, yeah. So when Hebrews talks about Jesus entering into the Holy of Holies with the perfect sacrifice as high priest, what it's saying is that there's two realities here. You can look from an earthly perspective 
And 2,000 years ago, on a cross on Calvary, you would see a man hanging in agony on a cross. If you were seeing from the heavenly perspective, there's another reality going on simultaneously. And what you see is Jesus, the high priest, entering into the real holy of holies of the supernatural temple in heaven and offering himself as sacrifice on the altar. Does that make sense? Yes. So there's two realities going on of which that earthly temple is just a, a, a pale shadow of. And so what this psalm is ultimately getting at is that he is going to come into his glory in his heavenly temple someday. And this is really going to happen. This is, this is why the mass is so profound is because we actually tap mm. into that in the mass. And you as a priest actually ask the angel to take this up to the other altar in heaven because that's what we're participating in. Here in Boulder, Colorado, we are tapping into the heavenly temple and actually entering into that space, which is – I hope that's not too esoteric and abstract, but I mean – it's really, it's really kind of profound because again, no, it's 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 radical. I mean, I it is I'm, radical. I'm looking, li, li, listening. I'm looking in the, I'm looking, I'm looking in the reading, and um, it says, um, uh, lift up, O gates, your lentils, reach up, you ancient portals, that the King of Glory may come in. Yeah. I just hear the song playing in the back of my head. I'm not, I'm not laughing. At you. <laughs> we, we, but dude, that, that's actually really profound. Is showing the correlation between the heavenly tabernacle, the the heavenly, the heavenly Jerusalem, and yes. at the heart of it, the temple, and yes. Jesus entering in and and actually rejoicing of what that looks like. But then, uh, it also makes sense for how we can actually enter into that temple joined to Jesus. Like, yeah. dude, that's really profound, man. Yes, and that's how we have access. I mean, when Paul and his letters talk about the fact that we actually have access now, I don't know where that's coming. That's from. your phone. It's silent. Mine's silent too. Yeah. Anyway, um, but that's how we actually have access to this. And so, okay. All that being said, that's our important backdrop for for getting into this. Now, again, we know this in hindsight. We can yeah. look back and say, "Oh, okay, that's how this all makes sense." But again, you're on the front end of this. You're in the time of Malachi or or later, yeah. and you're simply wondering, "Okay, when is God going to do this and what is this going to look like?" Isn't it 480 years between Malachi and I believe so. Something like that. Well, yeah. well cuz Gabriel gives us 70 weeks of years, but that might be That's from the time of Daniel in captivity in Babylon. Though. Oh, got it. Got so, it. we're a couple hundred years prior to that or okay. after that. So, okay, Hebrews, um which is actually this is cool because it's a great transition. This is because I was this is what started getting me thinking about Hebrews. Yeah. How does Moses make it? Okay. Um, makes it by brewing it. Hebrews it. Uh, okay. So he by the way Hebrews crash course tiny crash course on Hebrews. Crash course. Um, Hebrews. Nobody knows exactly who wrote Hebrews. There's a tradition that Paul wrote it. There's a tradition that he didn't. It's left anonymous. This one's up for grabs. We don't know for sure. Yeah. It's in the spirit of Paul. If, if he, whether he wrote it or not, but. It's unique in the New Testament books because it's actually written to Hebrews. It's written to a Jewish audience, which Paul doesn't do. He writes to a Gentile audience, the non-Jewish. And what it's doing, Hebrews actually identifies itself. It, it's less like a letter and more like a homily. It actually calls itself a word of exhortation. So imagine this. You're a Hebrew. You're a Jewish person, presumably a Jewish Christian. And say you're living in Jerusalem or Judea just after the time of Christ. Got you know, it. A couple decades. I'm there. What is happening? What is everybody around you in Jerusalem and Judea doing in the decade following Jesus's ascent into heaven? What is uh, everyone preparing for? The second coming. No. The unbelief. The people who didn't believe in the Messiah. The, I don't. <laughs> you know what I think it is? Is I think that the sound is coming through on your computer. Your mail must it is, be open. It is, but it doesn't usually do that. Okay, I'll close it. Um, 
Okay, let's. We gotta plow through though. Sorry, everybody. Dude, computers, man. It's computers. Computer, dude. dude. Do you remember that scene in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure when that <laughs> no. guy is making his speech at the end? Dude, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, yeah. computers, man. Computers, man. <laughs> Send Demon's High School Football Rules. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's just what I thought of. <laughs> dude, that's awesome. Computers, dude. Uh, what were we talking about? Okay, so what's everybody doing? The, Seriously, I, politically, social, socially, what's everybody preparing for? Um, the I mean, as a Christian, what's Jew, coming down the line? Yeah, destruction of the temple. How does that happen? Through uh, uh, Roman siege. Yeah. So what's everybody getting ready for? What's what are all the Jewish people doing and getting ready? What even in the time of Jesus? What's he trying to dissuade them from? Just, just war. They're trying. They're getting ready to go to war because many of them don't listen to Jesus and the, this turning the other cheek business and stuff, right? Yeah, I am. So if you're a Jewish Christian, you've become a Christian now. You're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're living in the decades following Jesus's ascension. Every single person around you, your friends, your neighbors, your parents, your children, your coworkers. Everyone's preparing for war against Rome. However, you are a Christian now, and you have been told explicitly by this Jesus that you are not to participate in this war. And he said in the Gospels, when you see the, the, the armies on the horizon coming, what are you supposed to do? Go to the hills. Run, flee to the hills. So how do you think all of your neighbors and coworkers and friends and family are going to view you if they're all Oof. preparing for war to defend their honor and their nation and, and the their temple people and, and God and the temple? But you're getting ready to run to the mountains. How are you going to look? Oh, man, it's going to be, times are going to be hard. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, I know we have a lot of persecution. Sometimes we feel like we're weirdos because of the way we practice our faith. But yeah. imagine that. So you might be tempted to throw in the towel, right? And you might be, I mean, take, so you got that. Plus add on to that. Again, this is the earliest years of this. And, you know, you're like, okay, everyone's preparing for war. I'm not allowed to fight it. But, okay, so I, let me see if I get this straight. So Jesus is my high priest, but he's not here anymore. He's up in heaven, but he's my high priest. And But there's Caiaphas over there. I, I see, I understand how he's high priest. I don't totally get how this Jesus is high priest. And yeah. also, he's like a Passover now, but it's bread and it's not actually a lamb. And So how does this, how does this I mean, yeah. that's a weird situation it's to be It's a lot in. to ask. And so you might be tempted to throw in the towel and say, you know what, this is too hard. I don't get it. I can't handle this. And so Hebrews is what's called a word of exhortation to try to convince anyone who's on the fence who might be tempted to throw in the towel and go back. And what the letter to the Hebrews does is compare and contrast the old with the new and try to set this vision. If you understand who Jesus is, who your high priest is, what your liturgy is, what the sacrifice is, yeah. what you've actually tapped into, mm. there is no way you can actually go back. Yeah. So the priesthood of Jesus is so superior to the priesthood of the Levites. The sacrifice of Jesus is so, so far superior to the, the other. All of these things, which is where you get that passage in the middle of Hebrews about Jesus entering into the Holy of Holies in heaven, you know, and that trumps everything. So that's what he's actually doing here. This is the beginning part of the book showing that, um, yeah, since the children share in flesh and blood. So literally we share in, in Jesus's humanity because he became a human. Jesus likewise shared in them that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death. That is the devil. So in other words, there's nothing to fear. And uh, free those who fear who through fear of death have been subject to slavery all their life. Surely he did not help the angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. You, therefore, and, and Paul made a big deal of the descendants of Abraham are those who have faith. They're not just the Jews. They're not just the Gentiles. They're all of us. 
Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way. This is in the section of Hebrews where Paul, uh, whoever the author is, is explaining why Jesus is a perfect high priest. What is a, what is a priest? It's someone who is a mediator between God and man. Why is Jesus a better high priest than Caiaphas or any other high priest you've ever seen? Because this mediator between God and man is God and man. And that's what a priest is. So how can you ever trump that? So he's setting this whole thing up. Um, and he says, you know, because he himself was tested through what he suffered and he's able to help those who are tested. So he's explaining the nature of Jesus as priest. Which is actually goes back to this refinement that we we're talking exactly. about in the first reading is yeah. he, he, he himself went through this refinement. Right. Absolutely. He, and, and he allowed the dross, but this is the thing is he took the dross to himself. Dross yes. is the nasty stuff that has to be refined out of precious metal. But that's what it means when Malachi says he's coming into the temple and he's going to lay down stuff. It's actually what he's doing on the cross. That's the coming into the temple. That's the ultimate coming into the temple. But oh, sorry. yeah, well, I, I was going to start to make a transition statement. Okay. So was I, but you make yours, make a transition statement, make a transition, Your precious statement. little transition. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this. What's interesting is because we're talking about the high priesthood. Yeah. Um, we're looking at Jesus coming into the temple, which is a, a direct quotation from uh, Leviticus. Is it? Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, that's power. Keep going, Leviticus. Leviticus. So, so what happens is that um, that the um, that there is. Um, <laughs> and we're good, man. I'm we're plugging good. in my computer. That's awesome. It's computers, man. I, it's computers, man. Send me I feel football rules. Um. And uh, so they're talking about the high priesthood. No. Now, what happened is that uh, originally you would offer every firstborn from the womb be consecrated mm-hmm. because of priesthood. Mm-hmm. They would actually be the priests to the family. But then after this, because of all the problems in Israel, he decides to dedicate just the Levitical. Well, actually, I don't, I don't know why he ends up deciding to take Levitical priesthood. Uh, oh, man, I do. Well, talk to me. It, there's, one, there's one moment. So you set it up exactly right. So... Um, from the beginning, the priests in Israel were, were the firstborn, the firstborn sons. sons. And that was just a given. There was no presentation of them. There was no formal process. If you were a firstborn son of your family, so Neil, your brother, would be the priest of the Musset household. Truth. Right? He's, your, he's the yeah, only Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's the firstborn bro. That's, that's just a given. It's a done deal. He is a priest, and he's a priest for his whole life because that's who he is. He's the firstborn son. Um, that ends in Exodus chapter 32. Is that right? When the golden calf thing happens. So remember. He just popped out of the fire, dude. It just happened, man. So Moses (laughs) is up on the mountain. He's getting the commandments. He's basically getting the wedding vows between God and his people at the wedding. And he comes down and he sees that the the firstborn son, Aaron, who is kind of the firstborn son of the firstborn sons, the kind of the one they all look to, he had given in to the people's fear, built this golden calf, which was a, a, a god of Egypt. They're doing these awful things. They're doing this terrible stuff. Gathered it, around, it was cries neither a victory of defeat no. in front of the uh, in front of the the bull. The euphemism there, yeah. But they're doing all this stuff. So Moses comes down. He flips out. He throws down the tablets. Remember that? Yes. And he says, "Okay, this is this is garbage. Who is going to stand up and be on the side of the Lord? This is the side of the evil one. Who's on the side of the Lord?" And the only ones who stand up and say, yeah, this is garbage, are the Levites. Levites. And what do the Levites do? The Levites, get this, this is nuts. The Levites slaughter 3,000 of their countrymen. 
That's their, in a certain sense, their ordination to the priesthood. That's the moment that the firstborn sons lost their priesthood. And the Levites, because they were the only ones willing to stand up and say, this is wrong, mm-hmm. they become the priests from that point on. And they do it, their ordin- for, so to speak, their ordination is the slaughtering of 3,000. From that point on, every well, at least once the temple is established and everything is going on, from that point on, every firstborn son that is born to a family has to come up to Jerusalem, be presented in the temple, and the family will pay a tithe to the Levitical priest and basically say, this is our oh. money because you are doing the job that our son was supposed to do. Oh. Thank you for taking this job. So it's actually a heart, kind of a heartbreaking reality to do the presentation. Whoa. It's submitting and saying, thank you. This was the job that he was supposed to do. Here's our family's tithe on his behalf so that you can do it. Whoa, that's even, that's way intense. It's way intense. And it's, the really intense thing is that Jesus actually submits to that. And he actually does it. And he's presented. Now, sorry, I don't want to jump ahead, but just one thing we have to admit, because Jesus has established a new priesthood here. Well, I'm going to hold it. Maybe, maybe it'll, it'll organically come up again. Stop. Okay. Collaborate and listen. Scott is back with with a brand brand new new edition. Something. Grabs a hold of me. Okay. So that's what Jesus is doing. Now, here, here's the thing I need to point out, though, that we need to point out. It's you need to point me. it out because it's not I, all about me. It's man. not all about you. It's crew. It's it's crew. We've spent a lot of our time today talking about how this temple that Jesus is going to come into, this glory he's going to receive, all this stuff is this heavenly reality, right? That it's this kind of spiritual reality that we can't see with our human eyes. But yeah. there's two pieces to this. Now, he's oh. ultimately going to fulfill his priesthood and his kingship on the cross entering into the the altar of heaven and offering himself. Yes. But the prophets, I think, also make it very clear that there's a literal reality, too. So remember, if you go way back, so Babylon hauled the Jewish people off into exile. They yep. were taken to slavery. Starting under, in Zebulun and Zebulun Zebulun Naphtali. Naphtali. Eventually, under a guy named Cyrus the Persian, years later, they were allowed to come back home. And he says, okay, you can go back. And they get back, and the first thing that they want to do is rebuild the temple. And they say, well, we got to build the temple again. But then they start to get lazy and they start to think, oh, okay, we don't even have our own houses yet. You know, this temple is kind of a pain to build. It's really expensive. It's a lot of work. And so it's Ezra and Nehemiah, Nehemiah basically stand up and say, no, like we have, and Malachi yeah. also is among them, isn't he? Basically, no, Haggai. Haggai, Haggai. is the big one. That's but it. they said, you have to build this thing. And they basically say, why do we have to build it? Look, this was kind of what got us into all this trouble in the first place. The Lord's presence has left the temple. We saw that. We're, we're tired. We're, we've been beat up. We don't even have our own houses. Why should we build this temple? And the answer the prophets all give is that it, I call it the, the field of dreams theology. He <laughs> if says, you if you it. build it, he will come. And that, yes. is the, that is the idea. And they, the prophets all say, if you build the temple, it's basically you saying, okay, Lord, we are ready. We are asking you to come back and be among us. Mm. So although there's this whole heavenly supernatural reality, there's also a literal reality that the Old Testament makes it very clear that God is coming back to the physical temple that they rebuilt under um, Ezra and Nehemiah's time, basically. He's coming back to that temple. And the prophets say he's going to come back to this. Ezekiel says it. He's going to come back to that new temple in a way that will blow your minds. That's so far beyond the presence he had in the temple in the the first temple that your minds won't even comprehend it. So everyone's picturing, you know, this some theophany that's going to be yeah, this incredible like super thing. over the top like right. you know you you think you think Sinai was powerful yeah. welcome to the next level y'all and that's what Malachi is kind of saying the lord is coming and where is he going he's going to the temple and it's going to be nuts which is all true so the yeah. question is when does god's theophany go back to the temple 
at this day, the right presentation. Right here, when he's a tiny little baby, and he's brought up in submission by his parents to be offered before the Levitical priests. That's the mind-blowing day when God's presence comes back to the temple in a way no one ever anticipated. But yeah. the glory is veiled in the, in the, under the auspices of a baby. Not auspices. I mean, he is a baby, but... Yeah. It's profound, though, well, isn't it? Yeah. What I, I mean, as I'm processing what you're saying, it's um, because it's it's more beautiful than we can ever imagine. Jesus, uh, I mean, it shows the reality of the Levitical priesthood. Like, it actually, it lifts the Levitical priesthood yes, up absolutely. beyond what you could ever possibly imagine. Absolutely. But then he ultimately has to set himself against the yes. temple and yes. and then and then reclaim those things as the true firstborn. Yep. And he actually receives then it back again. And it's blowing my mind that the tension between those, the, the submission and then the, yes. then, then breaking it open and actually yes. showing what its prefigurement is. It's crazy. And actually, I mean, so the the bulk of this week's gospel reading is these words of Simeon, um, which we call the Nuke Demitit, right? The, these word, this hymn that he basically sings. This old man, this prophet who's been waiting at the temple his whole life. Now you let your servant go in peace. Because yeah. he finally holds Jesus, and he re, he gets it, and he's like this, and, and he quotes the Old Testament. He's like, this is what the people of God have been waiting for. This now is the now I can go and die in peace. Because I've seen the salvation that the Lord, I've seen the theophany that the Lord has promised. And then yeah. Anna, the prophetess, comes in. She tells, you know, Mary all these things. The sword's going to pierce your heart. He's going to be the cause of the rise and fall. So they talk, these two old prophet and prophetesses, they talk about what he's going to do. And then and then he's off and running from that point on. Um, the one thing I wanted to bring it back, though, just because I, I was thinking about I, I just think it's so cool. So Jesus is beginning to establish a new priesthood. He submits yeah. in a certain sense to that Levitical order, the plan B. He says, okay, yeah. that's fine. We'll do this. But he's going to establish a priesthood, like Hebrew says, that's far superior to this. And who are the first priests of Jesus' new priesthood? Apostles. The apostles. Now think about this for a second. Take oh, this. Okay. So how are the Levitical priests... What's their first sort of priestly action? We just talked about it a second ago. They had to uh, uh, take those 3,000 and mow them down. They slaughtered 3,000 people. That's what sort of, in effect, made them priests. Yes. What's the first major priestly action of the apostles? The Eucharistic, the upper room? That is them getting this role. What's their first, let me, let me put it this way. What's their first public, major public priestly action? Well, I mean, there's the Pentecostal preaching. Okay. For, uh, on, on Pentecost, when Peter what stands up. What happens at Pentecost? 3,000 are baptized. Peter stands up, and 3,000 are brought back to life oh, through baptism. But they die with Christ. Right. In but the death of baptism and rise to new life. But they flip over the Levitical priesthood to the number exactly how it happened. Oh. Yeah. How cool is that? Dude, that's rocking my socks. I know. Well, here's here's an interesting thing as well is Mary. Yeah. Um, Mary, the the pure one of all time. Yeah. I mean, we uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary. She's yeah. set free from original sin from conception. Yeah. She goes into the temple to be purified. Yeah. And what ends oh. up happening? And it's inverted. A sword will pierce your heart. Oh. She's already as the first Ooh. disciple mimicking uh, the baptism of Jesus. 
and the uh, really? the inauguration and the rise and the fall of many that she nice. is she's already uh, being uh, she's she's cooperating with the plan and salvific mission of Jesus in wow. a prefigured a discipled way. Wow, nice work! Isn't that cool? That's nuts. Dude, that's actually nuts. I know, and that—that's why the prophetess Anna is—is—is oh, is, is the critical moment in that one. Yeah, is Luke is setting Ooh. us up for for that full transition of the one who is purified, able to actually take up the mission of the one whom they are inaugurated in, in the original form. It's like, oh, no. oh. three thousand baby. That's awesome. Seven man. sorrows. That's it. Oh. That's cool stuff. Oh. <sighs> So there you go. There you have it. Yeah. The um, dude. I, what's the what's the deal with the tribe of Asher? Do you know anything about the tribe of Asher? Um, <laughs> no. Okay, I don't either. Not so, off the top of my head. So that's the that's I, I, that's that everybody might, else's it, it homework. Might just be the tribe she's from. I mean, it, I I don't. Uh, yes, there's probably something significant about the tribe of Asher, but it also might. Well, I I I don't know. Dude, you don't have to know. I don't know. It could be, I mean, it strikes me as one of those little details that reminds you this is kind of an eyewitness account. Mm, yeah. Okay. But I'm not sure. Um, it, she also, I mean, maybe it's the fact, so I mean, most of the tribes are, are simply gone. You have Judah and and most of Benjamin, which are all that's left. The other northern tribes are gone. But we do know there are small remnants of them kind of scattered here and there. So she could be a sign. Being from Asher, she could be a sign of the reestablishment of the 12 tribes of Israel, a reuniting of the lost tribes, because she's actually from one of the lost ones, but she's back home, so to speak. I don't know. It could be something about that. He, well, he, I had I had one thought on the on the pair of turtle doves. Yeah. Because uh, uh, two turtle doves, three French hens, but two we're not talking no, about we're them. Not, not. Um, two turtle doves. Normally, you'd bring a, a lamb and a turtle dove. So the lamb would be. Um, unless you're poor. Unless you're poor, and then you can bring two turtle doves. Or pigeons. Uh, or pigeons. But it's a dove. Yep. And um, I think that there's, there's, that there's actually something beautiful in relationship back to what we see with the dove that comes and brings the olive branch to with Noah. With the flood. With the flood. And um, Asher was particularly prosperous, known for its olive oil. Okay, yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm stretching and totally doing ISIS Jesus right now, dude. dude. I'm just, but I'm just like thing. connecting things. Yeah. So um, in, in some sense, we, we call Mary the Ark of the New Covenant. Yeah. But an Ark is about salvation. It's actually about preservation. And so yeah. in some sense, the, like, why would you have turtle doves established as the poor offering? Why would you have, it's because turtle dove is just a species of dove. Right. So why would you have this established as something? All, all these things are prefiguring the moment of Christ. Yes. And so, uh, and 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 is actually speaking of what was into what was coming. Yes. And so the the fact that the dove shows that the the destruction is ending and mm. life is coming. Yeah, that's that good. the sacrifice of the dove is actually speaking in a certain sense <laughs> that what's what's about to take place is that those things those and two of them because you have the raven and then the dove yeah you have two birds and and ultimately it's speaking of all of these floods subsiding and yeah. actually new life being able to regen be regenerated in the covenant of the lord that's good yeah, yeah i like that i'm just i'm just trying to meditate on I the like doves it, dude 
This is the best. Kind of like when Pope Francis released the doves the other day. And, and the crow the, ate it. The crow ate it and oh the seagull gosh. like attacked the other one. That <laughs> was the worst. I'm like, and I think it was it for Syria, which is like, it talk was. about an- uh, No, like, it was for Ukraine. It was Ukraine. Talk oh, about it, uh, an omen, uh, like a, a prophetic moment. That was insane. Well, saddle up. Saddle up, saddle everybody. Up, oh, Lord, have mercy, have peace in, them, in uh, Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. All right, we got to wrap it up. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate you being here. We'll be back next week. Send us an email. Thank you guys at thomascenter.org. Find us on Facebook. Send us shout-outs. Send us your shout-outs. We haven't had any shout-outs for a while, you guys. shout it out. Do you not like any of your family or friends or what? Or us. that's what we're going to They listen. don't like or us anymore. They, that's okay. We love you. You're asking some other podcast to shout-out to your friends. Yeah, yeah. This oh, is the thing is, you guys, they've all been going to group therapy with Above and Beyond. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> All right, everybody. We hope you have a happy feast of the presentation. Eat, eat uh, olive oil on that day. Olive oil. And have some cheese. <laughs> and, and if you want to, cook a dove. Cook it. I mean, well, I mean, careful, though. <laughs> if, if that's legal in your state. All right, everybody. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Go Broncos. Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.